had to rethink everything about how we do business. It's almost like a meteor hit the entire planet. It's chaos, complete chaos. For businesses large and small. No revenue coming in whatsoever. Coronavirus represents an unprecedented challenge. From Fortune Media, this is reInvent, a podcast about fighting to thrive in a world turned upside down. I'm Beth Coet. And I'm Adam Lashinsky. The coronavirus has wreaked havoc on businesses everywhere. Over the next few weeks, Beth and I are bringing you stories about companies weathering this current moment brought on by COVID-19. It's all happening now and the stakes couldn't be higher. Beth, I want to tell you a story about the last business trip I took in 2020. It was Valentine's Day in Chicago, and I went there for a tech day put on by the NBA right before its All-Star Weekend. Join Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr., Rainbow Push Coalition. COVID had already become a thing in China, but not in the United States. It was just a totally normal All-Star Weekend. LeBron from way downtown! (laughs) And remember, it had already been a tough year for the NBA. Several months earlier, the general manager of the Houston Rockets had gotten in a whole bunch of trouble by putting out a tweet that was sympathetic to the protesters in Hong Kong, which got the NBA taken off of broadcast television in China. David Stern, the legendary former commissioner of the NBA, died unexpectedly on New Year's Day. And then just a few weeks after that, The superstar retired Laker Kobe Bryant died with his 13-year-old daughter in a helicopter crash. So it sounds like the NBA was just really being put through its paces. Yeah, and that that was really only the beginning. One month after the All-Star weekend, just before the Utah Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder were about to tip off. And fans, due to unforeseen circumstances, the game tonight has been postponed. You are all safe, and take your time in leaving the arena tonight. A jazz player had tested positive for COVID, and then, shockingly, the entire league shut down. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver told me, Essentially, the only reason we shut down is, although some people were critical of us for doing it, we had started testing our players, particularly symptomatic players, a week or so earlier than that. And so we picked up a case in our, in our league and obviously we knew we had a problem. So if the NBA had spent the first part of the 2019-2020 season swimming through some big rapids, COVID just sent it over the waterfall. And plenty of other sports follow suit, right? The NHL shuts down, college basketball ends the March Madness tournament, spring training for baseball, everything. Thousands and thousands of people crowding together in arenas, screaming, shouting, laughing. That's basically a public health nightmare. Right, so a sporting event like basketball carries all the same health risks as crowded restaurants and bars and crowded hotel lobbies. The NBA had played about 80% of its season, but it still had the playoffs to go. And keep in mind, the NBA makes about $10 billion a year in revenue. 40% of that is what it calls game night revenue. So tickets, food and drink, shirts and caps and other paraphernalia. 
The NBA, like a lot of other businesses, once it started to understand the problem, then asked itself the question, well, what can we do to keep our business going? If they could play their games in a so-called bubble, in other words, a protected environment where the players would somehow be safe from the pandemic, then they could at least keep their television revenue at a time when people are stuck at home and wanting to watch TV anyway. Okay, yeah, let's talk about the bubble here. When the idea of a bubble first came up, most people thought it was kind of kooky. Like, there's no way you could put the entire National Basketball Association inside some sort of hermetically sealed bubble. But in fact, that's just about what the NBA did. First, they decided they were only going to take 22 of the 30 teams. The other eight, who unfortunately became known as the deleted eight, had no theoretical chance of making the championship. So they decided for safety, we're just going to leave those players home. But they still had 300 grown men, the staffs, league officials, the media, and assorted other people to put into this protected environment on a campus at Disney World in Orlando. Adam, I'm going to be honest with you. This sounds like a logistical nightmare. How do you possibly do this? I think logistical nightmare is exactly what it was. They had to bring a number of hardwood courts in to put up practice facilities in hotel ballrooms. They had to get their mathematicians to design an algorithm to assign a fair practice schedule so that all the teams could have the practice time that they needed and that one team wouldn't have more practice time or better practice time. So what was this like for the players? How did they handle these kind of extreme circumstances? The NBA did everything they could to make these guys comfortable. I mean, some of them went fishing all the time. The sort of the, the, the meme or the joke of the bubble is that they all became pickleball players. And then on the other hand, a fair amount of the psychological stress of just being isolated. Brian O'Keefe, my writing partner on this story and the deputy editor of Fortune, spoke with Andre Iguodala of the Miami Heat and also a labor official for the National Basketball Players Association. We had to set up training environments where there weren't too many guys in the gym, too many guys on the court at the same time, the proper protocol for entering and exiting the gym. The way the NBA did it was, you know, top-notch, which is how they try to do everything. Okay, so it sounds like it was adjustment, but the NBA was really taking it seriously. Oh, they took it seriously. When I spoke with NBA Commissioner Adam Silver back in July, it was the very week NBA players were beginning to arrive in Orlando. You know, a funny word thing, he didn't like the word bubble, Beth. He liked to call it a campus. I'm saying campus instead of bubble because bubble creates this sense that it's hermetically sealed. It's it's more of a campus. People can move in and out of it. But essentially, the players, the coaches, those who are need to be most protected because in order to do their jobs, they have to take off masks and not be physically distant. They are the most protected. What most people watching on TV won't have realized is that there were tears in the bubble. In other words, bubbles within the bubbles. The players and coaches and referees were at the heart of the bubble. 
everybody else existed around them and didn't have full access to them. So this included groups like the media, even the owners. How do you make sure the bubble doesn't burst? Everybody had a daily test. For the NBA, so much was at stake here that they were really able to gold plate this COVID response. If they got even one player who was infected and then started infecting other players, because of the nature of the game, it all would have come apart. So they were able to do everything and anything to keep people safe. I'm confident that it will be safer on this campus than off this campus. So I think we should just pause here to acknowledge for a second the immense privilege of being tested every single day, especially in contrast to what was going on in the rest of Florida during the summer where there were record cases every day. There was a, a, a spike going on. That's right. And of course, testing, unfortunately, became a controversial topic in the United States around this time. If the rest of the country had even done a fraction of what the NBA had done, the uh, virus might have taken a different course. Now, the NBA was able to do things that under no circumstances could the rest of the country have done in the same way. I want to tell you, for example, about a company called Connexon. It's a real-time geolocation technology company. It's been used by professional athletes in tracking their performance data. And what it basically does it puts a sensor on the player and then using radio frequencies can track performance. For example, Steph Curry has an unbelievable fast release time of the ball. This is information we are able to capture because we know where the ball is, we know where the player is, we know where the ball leaves his, his hands. Mehdi Bentanfus is the company's CEO in North America. So basically the information that we collect can be used immediately for fast decisions. This stuff already is used by the NBA and the NFL to measure how an athlete performs, but the NBA partnered with Connexon to use its safe zone technology to monitor social distancing in the bubble. As soon as I get too close to someone else, and the, the sensor detect a distance of less than six feet. It has a visual alarm, it means a red flashing, and or a, uh, an audible alarm. So it's, it's kind of a beeping. You know, it's worth pointing out, some of this stuff is kind of creepy, but the relatively few people who were involved bought into that creepiness because they understood what the risks were. And by the way, also what the rewards were. They were playing basketball and making a lot of money. Uh, there also were some extremely low-tech things the NBA tried, like, for example, discouraging players from licking their fingers or spitting or clearing their nose or touching their mouth guard. I'd be fine if we did not bring those things back after COVID. Okay, so they do all this stuff, but does it work? How, how does it go? Well, the short answer is it went unbelievably well. First of all, they spent in the neighborhood of $180 million to do all these things. And some NBA players decided not to come at all. But by finishing their season, by finishing the playoffs and the finals, uh, without one positive test of a player or a coach or any of the other people who were living on the campus 
in Orlando, uh, they were able to recoup not all of the revenues that they had hoped to get for the season, but a very large percentage of it. But of course, life was going on outside of the bubble. Coronavirus was just one of the many things that's been happening in the country this year. We've also seen a surge in people participating in social justice movements. This is following the death of Black men and women like George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and the NBA has responded to this. Black Lives Matter was painted courtside, and the players carried protest messages on their jerseys. LeBron James said he was there much disagreement between the players and the league about this? It's not so much that there was disagreement. At first, the players seriously considered not playing anymore. Some felt that if they went to play this game, they would take the attention away from the social justice conversation. And so that became a dialogue between the players and the league that resulted in putting statements like Black Lives Matter and say their names on T-shirts, basically acknowledging that this issue was so important to the players. In my conversation with Adam Silver, I asked him about this. I think it was a recognition that we're living in extraordinary times right now. And what we're attempting to do by coming back in the midst of a pandemic, a, a, a recession, possibly worse, an enormous amount of social unrest. The players felt it was very important that they have an opportunity outside the normal boundaries of the league to express um, their heartfelt views on a particular issue. And those were issues around racism and social justice. And so, again, rather than this notion that we allowed it, we sat down with the executive committee of the Players Association. They proposed particular terms to us and we worked through it with them that those 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 messages would be included on their their jerseys. Adam Silver's a great one for words. Note, he didn't like the way people were saying the NBA allowed the players to do anything at all. Rather, they had a discussion about what they would say. He's very quick to draw a distinction between politics on the one hand and values on the other hand. Politics, they stay away from. Values, they embrace. I, I understand people could differ, but I don't view them as political messages. I view these as values-based messages, particularly around the issue of racism. Every It's no secret our league is, is has 80% of our players are black, and this is an issue that they're particularly focused on in this moment of time. But then, after all that, on August 26th, in the middle of the playoffs, the Milwaukee Bucks refused to come out of their locker rooms on a game they were supposed to be playing against the Orlando Magic. Despite the overwhelming plea for change, there has been no action. So our focus today cannot be on basketball. When we take the court and represent Milwaukee... The Bucks were protesting the shooting of Jacob Blake. He was an unarmed black man who had been shot by police in Kenosha, Wisconsin, not far from Milwaukee. The Bucks refusing to play quickly spiraled into a much bigger situation that, by the way, included other sports leagues where the players said, yeah, we're not sure we want to keep playing either. Here's Andre Iguodala of the Miami Heat again. Uh, I think the big thing for a lot of the athletes, especially the star athletes, is that they're trying to uh, get the, 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 these ownerships to understand, like, you know, it's bigger than just, you know, going out and playing basketball for profit. How is the decision to protest met by the league? The league's response was, we totally understand. 
you need to work out what you want and we'll be there for you. What we prefer is for you to keep playing. So what's it going to take for you to keep playing? That led to a very large conversation of the players who were still in Orlando and then a dialogue with a bunch of the owners. And one of the results that came out of that dialogue was an agreement by many of the teams to convert their stadiums into polling places for the upcoming election. This was seen as a statement that out of this frustration, at least we can do something good, which is encourage people to vote. It, it, it makes the most American sense as a country to make sure everyone's able to vote. Uh, it's just very simple, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, why is it so hard to explain? And then Davis throws it down with the foul. Rondo with the perfect bounce pass. Ultimately, the crisis was resolved. The players went back to work and they finished the playoffs. And that's it. It's over. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. And it ended with this really dramatic triumph of the Los Angeles Lakers and its superstar leader, LeBron James, who not only won his fourth championship in the NBA at age 35, but he won it with his third team. And so it was, after all of this tumult, it was really a great moment for the NBA because the NBA loves it when one of its biggest stars in one of its biggest TV markets wins the championship. So Adam, now that the dust has settled, how did the league end up doing? From a financial perspective, was the bubble a good idea? Well, the bubble absolutely was a good idea in that it allowed the NBA to finish its season and recoup much of the revenue that it otherwise would have lost. Uh, it ended up having a revenue shortfall of $1.5 billion associated with the pandemic, but that number would have been far larger if they hadn't been able to play all of those games. I should point out that the NBA didn't have particularly good ratings for the playoffs. Uh, part of that was because they were playing at a time of year when they're not used to playing. In other words, competing against baseball and football. But again, they came out of this having shown that they could respond to a crisis and still do pretty darn well, which is pretty good for the brand of the NBA. So what has the NBA taught us? What, what do you think the rest of the business world can learn from the bubble? The NBA taught us that you pay attention to your product first and foremost. In the NBA's case, its product is the game of basketball. So that means having a good relationship with its players, listening to their concerns, being flexible and adaptable, and doing everything you can to stay in business, including, by the way, spending a whole bunch of money if that's what it takes to get it done and keep the brand intact. So what's going to happen next season? That's a great question. The NBA already plans to do its draft in mid-November. It probably will start playing games in January, which is very late, but these players and everybody else needs a bit of a rest. If a fan's question is, are we going to have a season next year, the answer is almost certainly yes. As far as what it will look like, we really don't know. Our show is edited and produced by Wyatt Orm. 
Our theme music is by Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds NYC. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Reinvent is a product of Fortune Media. <laughs>